What's up, y'all? Welcome back into the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. Tanner Dewing here with y'all as always. Coming to y'all here from Louisville, Kentucky. Did not have a show on Sunday due to Easter. So today we'll be kind of combining our weekend recap episode and a little bracketology talk into one here on Tuesday morning. Um, before we get into things, though, I do want to mention, as always, you can listen to the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Leave the five-star reviews where you can. help us helps us grow the show. YouTube, you can also watch the show on there. Hit the like button, hit the subscribe button in that regard as well. So, let's start off with the Big Ten. Big Ten. So, we had Rutgers beat Michigan 12-11 to in overtime. We had Maryland beat 13-12 in overtime, Rutgers and Michigan. We had Maryland beat Ohio State 12-11 to in overtime. We had Hopkins beat um, Penn State, or was it... Uh, what was that one? Another overtime one, though, as well. Um, was it 12-11, I believe it was? Yeah, 12-11 as well on that one in overtime. We're going to start off here with with Rutgers um, and Michigan in that game. and we'll, we'll talk about the instance that everyone wants to talk about here in a minute, but let's talk about the actual gameplay here first of all these games. So, um, Friday night, Rutgers is able to really, you know, spurt and, and and get a sizable lead there. I believe they were up um, at one point. Like they were, they were up nine to four at you know late in the third quarter, and and Rutgers was kind of rolling. Um, for you know, looking at at, at these two teams coming in, they weren't on similar trajectories, but it was similar. Uh, because they both, it was a must-win game for both teams, in a, in a, a sense. Rutgers was coming off uh, their second consecutive loss in Big Ten play. They could not afford to drop to 0-3 in league play. Michigan was coming off of a massive win over Maryland. They needed another win here because that is that, that's something they've never done before. They've never had a big win and then followed it up with a win. They don't do that here again on Friday night. And look, kudos to Michigan for being able to come back the way they did. Um, you know, Shane Knobloch with the game winner for Rutgers. I, I thought for me, for this one, this game, more than anything, it, it kind of solidified. Um, for me, just how close this conference is when you have two teams uh, of this caliber going at it. You know, the crowd is rocking there um, at, what is it, SHI Stadium now uh, on, on Friday night. It was uh, it was phenomenal. Um, <clears throat> you know, Michigan to be able to get up the way they did um, and then Rutgers to be able to come for, for, for Michigan to be able to 
come back the way they did in uh, late regulation. I think says a lot about this team, a lot about this program and how they've grown. Um, and then Rutgers just, you know, both these teams just played with, with, with a sense of urgency. Um, and Michigan m- maybe ha- had more of a sense of urgency at the end than Rutgers did, but some of those big stops by Mullen uh, and this Rutgers defense and the defense certainly helped to pave the way for these stops. Um, and, and I want to mention Jonathan Duhenio was fantastic in the second half, 80%. Um, uh, fantastic in the second quarter, 80%. A big piece of Rutgers being able to build the lead they did eventually go away. He went 46% on the day. Lala, those guys played very well for Michigan. Rutgers now 8-3. and three. Overall, 1-2 and two in Big Ten play. Michigan 5-5, five 1-2 and five. One and two in Big Ten play. That is going to be an interesting race here in the Big Ten as the season winds down. Now, let's go to Penn State and Hopkins first. So, um, I'm sitting here watching this game, and to me, you know, you see Penn, you see Hopkins get up big early the way they did. They look, what, 4 6 early in this game. They, you know, are, are in command. And then all of a sudden, the light comes on for Penn State, and they just sprint to the lead. They outscored Hopkins 10-2. Um, from the 748 mark in the second quarter through the 1258 mark in the fourth quarter to take a 10 to 7 lead. They get up, and it looks like Penn State has control of this game and they're going to be able to win it in regulation. However, just as has been the case nearly each of the past couple of weeks <laughs> for the Blue Jays, we had a um, Johns Hopkins fourth quarter, and I, for one, thought, "Wow, Johns Hopkins is going to do it again. They're going to win a game in the fourth quarter." And this is the script that they have been. This is the script they've been following for the better part of the past month or so. Is they will kill you late in the game, and you thought they were going to do that again on Saturday night, but they don't. They don't kill you in the fourth quarter on Saturday night. They do to an extent. Brennan Grimes, Garrett Degnan, Brooks English, Russell Melendez. It's an 11-10 game, Johns Hopkins. But Penn State wasn't done. Penn State wasn't going to let that happen. And they didn't let that happen. Kevin Winkoff forces overtime with his game-tying goal with like 2.07 left. And then you saw... Kevin Winkoff, again, win this one in double overtime. Kevin Winkoff's the hero here for Penn State. Game tying goal, game winning goal. But he is not the uh, <laughs> not the only one. You also had Jack Fraseon. Fraseon, end of the day, with 16 saves. He had three big ones late in this contest. One in the second, one in the first overtime. Excuse me, one in the second overtime to preserve the game even even longer. And then two more game-saving, game-preserving, game game-lengthening game saves in the first overtime as well. You also had the big stop late 
in that overtime period. Excuse me, late in regulation, the man down stop, um, and, and he had another big one in regulation as well. MVP on the day for Penn State for me is, is Jack Faison. Absolutely. Now, moving on to Maryland, Ohio State. Maryland wins 11, excuse me, 12, um, 12 to 11 in this one, believe it is, um, in this contest. And um, why did Maryland win this game? They won this game because of Luke Wilman. You look at Maryland this season, they've got some good pieces offensively. Daniel Kelly, Owen Murphy, all of these guys, Oscar, all these guys offensively. Oscar with the game winner on on, on, on uh, Friday night. So you have all these all these great players. They don't have like a, 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 a you know, the guy. Like they don't have a Lambo, they don't have a Wisnowskis, they don't have a Bonehart, they don't have a Joe Walters, they don't have a guy that you can say is like your focal point of the offense. However, you know, they do have that at the faceoff dot. And more or less, they do have two of those on defense and Wheelman uh, in Maycall and Zapatella. Wheelman is kind of like the Superman of this team. He went 73% on the day on Friday and 90% in the second half. Well, <laughs> that's insane. That is insane. He was winning faceoffs left and right every single time. It's Maryland ball, Maryland ball, Maryland ball. This this is what it was. This is what was happening. And you're down seven to uh, I think it was seven to two at one point, nine to five at the half. They were able to come back because of Wilman's dominance at the dot. One hundred percent. Wilman is the reason Maryland won this game. Absolutely. Absolutely. And is the reason why Maryland is able to come back. And look, again, like, Maryland, if you get you get the Terrapins down, you get the Terrapins in the situation they were in, I don't care who's on the team. What are they most likely going to do? They're most likely going to find a way to avalanche goals. They're going to find a way to step on the gas, and maybe they won't, they won't win all the time, but they're going to make it a game. They made it a game, and they won. They outscored Ohio State, was it 3 nothing in the third, in the fourth quarter, blanked them in the, in the final frame of regulation, and they won just, what, a possession into the overtime period. This is, Maryland did what Maryland does in this game. Yes, they got behind early. Kudos to Ohio State for being able to come out the way they did. The second half of this game, we saw Maryland do what Maryland does best, and that is dominate. Now, to the glove gate situation. I don't want to spend too much time on this. So, I'm watching real-time in this game here, and I see you know, Kelly has just scored the goal to tie it up, and I see, you know, it, it, it appears that there's some confusion of what's going on. Um, as they go to do the face-off. 
and the left lead polls Myers, uh, Nick Myers, Ohio State's head coach, and John Tillman, Maryland's head coach, together uh, in the middle of the box um, on the field. And it it looked like, oh, you're like, okay, they're explaining something. And then you see Myers get upset, and he starts yelling and, and all of that. Um, he gets agitated, he gets upset. Is, is clearly upset about something. We, we don't know what at this point. Then you see Fritz run off the field and go get new gloves. And at that point is when the announcers are like, oh, um, so it appears that there's a glove infraction and Fritz has to change gloves. Now, um, let me pull this up here. Per the NCAA rules, all players on a team shall wear gloves of the same dominant color, official team color, unless safety reasons require a different glove to be worn. Specialized goalkeeper gloves may be of any color. So unless you got a specialized reason, or you're a goalie, all the gloves have to be the same for everyone else on the team. I believe there's also a rule where the glove can't be the same color as the head of the stick for face-off. Um... I believe or that might just be high school, but I I don't know. Um, I believe that's also a rule there as well, and that would make more sense to me than everybody on the team has to have the same color. Like that would make more sense to me. But this rule is just stupid. It's just stupid. Now, um, John Tillman. Credit to John Tillman. Little hat tip to him. He reads the freaking rule book. He reads the rule book. Um, is this something that you call? And look, I'm not going to get into, did he ask for a glove check or did he just simply, hey, why is why aren't the gloves all the same? Uh, as he said on the broadcast, he said, I just asked a question. I asked a lot of questions in the game. I, I just asked a question because someone had brought it up. Um, you know, I, I saw who's the great Dom Stalgia had on, on Twitter, his take on it, and he was, you know, basically, it was, it was just games been shipped there from, from my, uh, from, uh, from Tillman in a tight game. Um, didn't really take like a definitive stance on it, but like, you know, I think that's probably correct. Um, and at the end of the day, um, to be honest with you, did it matter? Did it matter? I, I, I don't really think that you can say it mattered that much. Because as I said, Wheelman was dominating the dot. Maryland was doing what they do. They were avalanching goals. They were coming back. I really don't think this mattered that much. You go back to two weeks ago with the, the goal. Was it a goal? Was it a save with Syracuse and Notre Dame? That's a more consequence, consequential um, call than this. And that, that was an actual gameplay call. This was just a stupid glove thing. Now, yes, Maryland gets possession, but as I said, Newman's dominating the dot. Maryland was probably going to get possession anyway. And even so, they did not score on that possession, and Ohio State got the ball back, and they didn't score. So, you know, in the end, it really didn't matter that much at all. And this game was won because of Luke Wheelman because of Maryland's ability to dominate possession late in this game. That's absolutely why they won this game. And kudos to Maryland for being able 
to do what they do. Now, I want to mention a couple ACC games here real quick uh, that were uh, blowouts. Um, you had Virginia beat North Carolina 19-12 on Friday. Um, look, um, Virginia dominated every facet of this game. Connor Schoenberger wasn't playing, but Peyton Cormier, Sandra Dixon, Thomas McConvey, your you know, typical names there, they all stepped up. They did what they needed to do. Um, I was very impressed with Matthew Nunes and the Virginia defense in this game. Uh, LaSalle went 52% of the dot and, and had a great game for Virginia. Was a big part of this one. Uh, Matthew Nunes made 12 saves, 52% save percentage. He's been, and look, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, like how can he improve and how can he continue to progress this season? This was another good game for him here for the sophomore. The Virginia ride, they went seven, they held uh, North Carolina to a 78% percentage in the clearing game, uh, 15 for 19. So they uh, caused four turnovers on the clear, uh, on the ridebacks. They turned one of those into a goal in the second quarter. Again, Virginia just dominated in every facet of this game. I didn't expect that. I did expect Virginia to win, but to dominate like that, absolutely not. Um, now, Notre Dame. Notre Dame is now ranked number one in the country again. They beat Duke pretty bad on Saturday afternoon, um, a 17-12 game. Saturday evening, I should say. Um, I thought Duke had a had an opportunity here to to make this a game because, like, they led three two uh, heading into the second quarter. You had the Charles Balsamo goal, which he comes down the middle, really great dodge, really great shot, and it's a three two Duke game heading in the second. You had that. They had an opportunity. They didn't capitalize, and in the end, it, it was it was uh, was noted in the capitalized. Um, the uh, the the Irish, you know, Liam Intman, fifteen saves, and then this Irish defense held the Blue Devils to one goal during an eighteen minute stretch of this game. Chris Fake held Brennan O'Neill to one goal on I believe it was six. He was one in six, one of six for shooting. Um, so a great game from Chris Fake, a great game from William Intman, and this entire Notre Dame defense. Will Lynch did not play well at the faceoff dot. Jake Naso went, what did he go, 68%? Yes, yeah, 68% at the dot, and that is that is all that Duke really got. And statistically speaking, this game was pretty even um, <clears throat> when you look at it. Like It wasn't like Notre Dame outshot, outshot Duke, like you know, 58 to 20 or something crazy like that. It was pretty even throughout. Notre Dame, they were just able to get their shots going, and they were able to get this. They 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 got oiled up in the first quarter, and they started rolling in the uh, in the second and third, and through the fourth, they stepped on the gas pedal, and another just really good game here for the Irish and for the Kavanaugh brothers. Thirteen combined points. Chris Kavanaugh had five goals. Pat Kavanaugh had three goals and five assists. Also, Jake Taylor, two and one. Eric Dobson, three and one. I thought Dobson played particularly great here on Saturday for 
Be Eilish, a, a a big one here for Notre Dame, and as I said, uh, a big part of why they are number one in the country at this point in the season. The fourth number one, I think, that we've had so far in 2023. Let's move to the Ivy League here, but before we do, take a little swig here. Got to keep the uh, vocal cords juiced up throughout this uh, throughout this show here. Um, Ivy League, Ivy League upsets over the weekend, um, and we'll talk about another ACC team here in a second. Um, I know y'all waiting to hear about that. Um, Harvard welcomed number four Cornell, and they won ten to eight. Harvard did. Harvard upsets Cornell ten to eight. Big win for Jerry Bone and the Crimson. Um, look, Andrew Perry, three goals, one assist. He played well. I thought the this was a defensive battle, and Harvard's defense played fantastic. This was what I think is the, the, the best defensive performance I've seen from Harvard this season, and maybe the best defensive performance I've seen from them since the Michigan game last year, I think is probably the last time I see them play this good. Um, and look... Um, Christian Barnard had you know, those three goals late in the game. Phenomenal to help stifle Cornell's you know, efforts to come back in this one. Um, uh, but but then you also had you know Ray Doth and Chase Yeager score your final two goals of this game. Cause a turnover, go coast to coast. Cause a turnover, go coast to coast. Outstanding days from Doth and Yeager. Um, two of the stops I mentioned from... Barnard came at the 47-second mark and 22-second mark from Christopher Davis. And C.J. Coast is the sticks of which those shots came from. Barnard just is there, just both times. And he made a stop on the possession before that as well. Three incredible saves here. He had 16 overall, 66% save percentage. When you look at the plan here for Cornell, or for, 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 for Harvard, and I'm not sure if this is exactly what they were trying to do, but C.J. Coast had 4-1. Brian P. Telly had a hat trick. Your, 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 your top guys that usually carry you for Cornell, like they got what they wanted. Um, but what is interesting about this game, and look, Jack Kaskinen, 75% of the dot played fantastic for Cornell. And you knew Cornell was going to win the face-off battle, no matter what. Uh, Harvard is still developing in that area. They're still trying to find the answer there. Um, and, and they've not been good this season, just like last year. The midfield didn't get involved for Cornell. Not much at all. I think that's the key. Maybe not the key to beating them all the time, because you did see Penn State try to shut out, try to limit Coast and those guys. Um, but when you don't let this entire crop get involved, they don't get rolling like they do. When you don't allow these transition goals that we saw against Penn and some other teams, Cornell doesn't. Cornell doesn't. You know. They can't avalanche goals. They can't get on these big runs that they're able to take over games with. C.J. Coast is one man. He's one man. He can't carry an entire team on his back. 
Nobody can. You can't have a bunch of one, two assist guys and a 10 goal scorer. You, you can't have that. You just can't. So as good as he is, and he'll probably be on the stage at the Torleton ceremony at the end of the year, you, you know, if you can let him do what he wants, if you if he, if you get beat by him and you get a goal by him, fine. But we're not going to let these other guys get hot. We're not going to let these other guys get involved as they have been all season. And that that is kind of what Hollywood did. Again, was it the game plan? I don't know. I'm not Jerry Bowen, but that's kind of what that's that that's how things played out to an extent on Saturday in Hollywood's big win over Cornell. Now, that was not the only big win of an Ivy League team, and I did not watch all of this game, so I'm not going to go as deep into this one. Um, actually, these last two games we'll talk about, I didn't get to see much of. Uh, but I did see the ending of this Brown, uh, Brown pen game. Brown tops number 14 pen, 12-11, to 11, earned their first Ivy League win of the season. Um, and look, Penn at one point was up 7-3 to three in this game in the second quarter. However, Brown, like, you know, you got, like, an axe, and you're trying to, like, you know, it's like you're mining for gold, and you're going to get to it. You're going to get to it. You just got to keep going. You know, you've seen those, everyone's seen that meme of the guy that's mining for gold, and he stops, like, right before because he thinks it's not there. There's another guy on the other side that's, like, goat, that's just beginning, and he goes all the way through and gets it. Um, it's like a meme of that or something. Um. This is kind of what Brown did. They chipped away, chipped away, chipped away, chipped away, and they got it. They got it. Um, Jack Kelly pulls Brown within 176 with 12.25 left in the third. Trey Taylor, pull goal, make it 8-7, to set, makes it a 8-7 to seven game, pulls Brown within one again with 4.53 left in the third quarter. <coughs> Devin McLean. Puts a man up score in off a feed from his brother. 14.09 mark of the fourth. You tie it. And again, Penn is able to answer. Ben Smith gets a goal there. But Brown, each time Penn answers late in this game, Brown strikes back harder. McLean strikes twice more in that final frame. Brown gets the first lead of the day. Cashes in on a Griffin King feed in uh, a, a, in an even situation with, I think it was like, what was it, 8.43 to go? Make it 9-9. Then you get Griffin King feeds Devin McLean with about six minutes left to go. 10-9 game on a man-up situation. Boom. Brown has their first lead. Of the game, I believe it was. If they they might have been up one zero at the one point, but uh, the first lead of the game to an extent. Penn got goals from Luke DeNola, Robert Shane during those final minutes. However, Brown never gives up that upper hand once they get it. Matthew Gunty face off score. Jack Kelly score two seventeen left in the game ends all discussion in. This one, a, a, a big win, a big comeback here for the Brown Bears. They went on a run in April last year. 
I'm not sure they're going to do it again this year, but, but certainly a good April winner here for the Bears. Now, moving on to the Syracuse game. Syracuse with the best one of the season, 16-13 over Princeton. And yes, I know some people have pointed out to me, well, Tanner, Princeton's a little banged up. They absolutely are. They're not just a little banged up. They're, they're, they're quite a bit banged up right now. Have been for a number of weeks. Uh, but but a huge win here for for Syracuse. Um, Sam Alexo got the first goal of the game. Gets the uh, ground ball off the opening faceoff on the wing. Takes it down. Pole goal to start this thing. And really from that point on, I felt like Syracuse had the energy. Syracuse had the edge. This is a game where you only had four goals in the second half. Very defensive second half. I think Finn Thompson had the last score of the game with like 14 minutes left. Um, but uh, Syracuse, they held Princeton off the board for the final like 15 or 16 minutes. So, I mean, for me overall, <clears throat> this is a game where, you know, uh, Syracuse, and, and we've seen this a lot this the late lately from Syracuse, growing up. Syracuse kind of growing up and being able to get what they want when they want it and being able to hold on to a lead. That's something, and look, <clears throat> this is a three-goal win, but it felt a lot bigger than that. Like, you know, Jack finds 62% at the dot, Will Mark 17 saves in cage, Alexo had like three ground balls, two cost turnovers, maybe that is flipped, but he played very well. I thought this Syracuse defense played well. Something I haven't said a lot this season. Joey Spolina, four goals, five assists. Finn Thompson, Cole Coast hat tricks. Like, everything came together at the right time here for Syracuse to get this win. Um, you know, it's a 13-9 game early in the third. It's a 12-9 game at the break. So, like, while Syracuse pulls ahead 5-1, they don't, they don't remain, like, up that much the entire game. But they're constantly able to answer Princeton. And they never let Princeton get back in this game to the extent they wanted to. So, kudos to Syracuse for being able to get this win. Um, a really big one for Gary Gate and company there in Syracuse. And again, the biggest thing for me, it, it's a game where they, they, they grew up. And you're seeing it right now, this team learning how to win. Learning how to win big games. Learning how to hold on to leads, and uh, we we said we've said all year, Syracuse is a year away. Um, but look, as we, you know, are in the back half of the season now, as we're marching towards the end of the season, you know, Syracuse they've got I believe it's uh, Carolina, Virginia, and then maybe Duke or Notre Dame again um, th this season. I'm not sure if they're going to win another game, but th they certainly have impressed you this back half of the season, uh, and have shown a lot of growth over the season for sure, and that's something that's always great to see with these young teams. I can't wait to see what they do and, and how they grow in 2024. It, it could be the year Syracuse gets back to the tournament, gets back to what they want to be, or, or, or be the first year of a run where they get back to where they want to be. Uh, absolutely. Last thing we're going to hit on here today, Bracketology. Bracketology 
And, uh, whoa, hold on there. Camera is a little shaky. There we go. Uh, for those of y'all watching on the, on the broadcast, the, uh, camera was about to fall over, but, uh, saved it there. Um, Abrectology 3.0, as, um, as always, 17-team bracket, America East, A-Sun, Atlantic 10, Big East, Big 10, CAA, Ivy League, MAC, and Patriot League. Those are nine automatic qualifying uh, conferences. ACC, remember, does not have a automatic bid. NC State, Georgia Tech, Louisville, Boston College, whoever, please, at lacrosse. The ACC would love to get an AQ, and I would love to see the ACC have an AQ. It's kind of a disgrace that they don't. Um, projected automatic qualifiers for right now. Well, first of all, remember, nine AQs, eight non-AQs at large bits is how this thing works. And all these numbers are from Monday at noon is when these numbers are from. I'm not going to go through, like, this team, this record, this rank, all that. Uh, we'll just kind of name these real quick because this show is going a bit long because we're doing this on this show as well. So, um, And, and y'all can go to lacrossebugger.com and read my latest Bractology post. Uh, many of y'all already have, so thank y'all for doing that. Um, <clears throat> comes out typically like one thirty is usually when I post it. Um, on uh on Mondays, America East. Who's the team coming out of there at this point? Projected automatic qualifiers. America East. We have Bryant. They're eight and two, four and zero in conference play. Big one against Vermont this weekend. That is where things could change very much. So I think it's probably going to be. A Bryant American, a Bryant Vermont battle in the American East, unless UMBC has anything, or um, uh, what's Binghamton has anything to say about it? Who Bryant or was it Vermont just beat Binghamton over the weekend? A Sun, we have Utah. They are cooking through the A Sun right now, and they've got a very easy schedule the rest of the way. They've got Mercer, Lindenwood, Queens, and I think Cleveland State. I think they should win all those games. Mosa could give them some trouble, but they just waxed RMU in the second half over the weekend. Those 6-4, and 5-0 and in conference play. Are the Atlantic 10? The Atlantic 10, the Big East, are, are who, it's who you would expect. St. Joseph's, they're 7-4 overall, 2-0 and in conference play. In the Big East, you've got Georgetown, they're 6-3 overall, 2-0 and in conference play. They've won each of the last six games after starting 0-3. Georgetown is on a roll at this point. The Big Ten is where things could get interesting. Johns Hopkins, 9-4. They're 2-1 in conference play. Um, if you ask me, of all of these teams right here that are projected, which is the one that I think heading into tournament weekend would not be there? It's probably Hopkins. I think a, a lot's going to change there in the Big Ten over the next couple of weeks. CAA, we have Delaware. They're 8-3. 4-0 in conference play. They're doing what you expected them to do in the CAA through this point. In the Ivy League, it's Cornell. They're 7-2. 3-1 in conference play coming off the loss to Harvard. They've got a game against Army this weekend. And Army is the Patriot League. 
projected AQ at this point right now, 6-0 in league play, 9-1 in, in overall. Um, in the MAC, you have Manhattan, 8-3, 5-1 overall. That's another one where things could get wild, get wacky uh, as the MAC typically always is. Let's move to the at-large selections now, um, and I'm just going to go through. So you top like you who would so you have nine AQs. We just went over them. The projected next eight teams here, the eight at-larges. I'm just going to go through these top four right now. So these are your like first four in Notre Dame. Number one RPI, Duke number two RPI, Virginia number three RPI, Maryland number five RPI. That that crop is what it is. I think that crop is crystallized. Those four teams are gonna get in, probably no matter what. Now you look at the next four, and it's a little different. <coughs> you have Penn State. And these would be your last four in. Penn State, North Carolina, Denver, and Yale. One of those teams is not like the other, and I would say that's Yale, possibly Denver as well. I, If you ask me of those four teams, which one is not going to get in, I would I would probably say Yale. Um, I, I, you know, they've got Brown this weekend. Um, they beat Dartmouth over the weekend, and they did what they did. They, you know, it, it was expected. Like, you know, they've got Brown left, and then I can't remember who they, um, who else they have on those. Oh, Harvard as well. So, I, you know, I, I don't know, man. It's, we'll see how they do. We'll see how they do. Uh, so those are your next four in Penn State, North Carolina, Denver, and Yale at this point. Now, this next crop is very interesting. And these are your teams, some of which aren't going to get in unless they win the league. Um... But based on where they are, I, I, I put, was this, 14, 16 teams, possible at-larges that I've listed here. Um, we're actually going to drop that to 14 next week. Um, Rutgers is the number one team here who I would say is not in this projection, but is probably going to be in the tournament. Absolutely. Um, they're 8-3 overall, 1-2 and two in conference play. They've lost to, who's it, um, to Army. They've lost to... Hopkins, and they've lost to um, Ohio State. Those are your losses. Two being conference losses. Only one, I would say, is a bad loss, Ohio State. Now, Ohio State's down here as well as Penn and Michigan. You know, I think a lot of these teams aren't going to get in. And, and then, like, going farther down, Villanova, UMass, Loyola, Lehigh. Villanova and possibly Ohio State or Penn are the two teams of this kind of crop that I would say there's a possibility they get in if they don't win the league, uh, but some other things have to happen elsewhere for that to happen. Things not in their control have to happen, most likely, unless they just go on a tear here and, and, and the rest of the season. And two, like I will say, this, Villanova does have Georgetown left. So they're probably in the best situation of that crop there. Bids for conference, 
I've got the ACC at four right now, the Big Ten at three, the Big East at two. I think the Big East, the Patriot League, the Ivy League are all in the same situation where it's either one or two, one or two, one or two, depending on how things shake out. America East, A-Sun, A-10, CAA, MAC, they're all getting one in, just like usual. Now, to the bracket, and uh, for those watching on YouTube, I am putting up the bracket right now so y'all can watch and follow along there with that and have the visual for y'all as well. Now, have this pulled up here. Notre Dame, we have as the number one seed, and we have them playing the winners of St. Joseph's and Manhattan, the A-10 and MAC AQs. Reminder, the bottom two ranked AQs get the play-in game. And Delaware has played themselves out of that list. They were where St. Joe's was. Uh, they are now down here at number uh, play-in. Uh, Notre Dame, which we'll get to in a minute. Number eight, we have Georgetown out of the Big East playing Yale. Then going further down the bracket, we have number five, Maryland playing Utah out of the A-Sun. We then have number four, Johns Hopkins out of the Big Ten playing Army out of the Patriot League to end the uh, top half of the bracket. We then have number three, Virginia playing Bryant out of the America East. And this is one of the bottom half of the bracket now. Uh... Number three, Virginia playing Bryant out of the America East. Number six, Penn State playing North Carolina. Number seven, Cornell out of the Ivy League playing Denver. And number two, Duke playing Delaware out of the CAA. So there you have it right now, my third bracket projection here in 2023. A lot of things, again, a lot of things will likely change over the next couple of weeks. This is the best time of the year. Uh, it's, it, it is consistently warm outside. It smells like lacrosse. It feels like lacrosse. And May is is approaching. And, and look, while May is the end of the season, it's the most exciting part of the season. Um, and look, I'm, I'm excited. I know you're all excited. And, uh, you know, we will keep following along with this Blacktology here as we march towards Selection Sunday, which is 26 days away as I am recording this. All right, folks. Thanks again for tuning in. As always, you can listen to the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcast. Don't forget to leave the five-star reviews and subscribe where you can. It helps us grow the show. You can also watch on YouTube as well. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Uh, leave a comment if you can. Uh, helps the algorithm, I believe. I don't know. I don't know how the YouTube algorithm works uh, too much. But I know liking it, subscribing it, helps us grow the show as well. You can connect with us on social media at LacrosseBucket on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. LacrosseBucket.com, where it's always lacrosse season.